Yeah, but, but think about, guys, like where we were and what God began to do. Ray, when you look back at some of the biggest areas in which God sanctified you, what would you say some of those are? <laughs> oh. What Boy, sins were you really into? Ray? Yeah, Ray. The moment I got saved, I was perfect, and <laughs> nothing's changed. Your holiness. Yeah. Was no. there a moment, Ray, though, where you were just surprised by your response to something that now as a Christian, you're responding Christ-like, where you thought, man, ordinarily I would have no, done this. No, I've got worse. I really have. It's <laughs> Sometimes my dog annoys me. You can understand that when he's disobedient, and I feel an impatience come up my heart, and I realize what a sinner I am through and through. I think the closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you are of your own sinfulness. Yes, that's Paul. This Saturday, I'll be filming one-to-one for our YouTube channel from 9.45 a.m. till about 11.15 a.m. at the Huntington Beach Pier, wrote Ray Comfort, followed up by, sorry, meant for someone else, to which I replied, bah, which is my warning sound, like, hey, watch it, to which Oscar replied, I'll be meeting with LeBron James and the Queen of England that day around 2 p.m. They want me to make them a cup of coffee, sorry. Oops, meant for someone else. To which I replied, wow, King James and Queen Elizabeth on the same day. To which Mark replied, sorry, I'm walking on the moon that day. Sorry, meant for someone else. To which Ray replied, you guys are sick. Sorry, meant for someone else. <laughs> to which this, I replied, this is what it's like to be our friends. Yes. To which I replied, I love myself. I'm the most amazing and wonderful person on the planet. Not sorry, meant for me. To which Oscar replied, I know our other two co-hosts are weird and boring, but you do a great job of making up for it. Thank you for being patient with them. Sorry, meant for only one of you. <laughs> to which I said, prove it, Oscar. To which Ray said, save this for someone else. I've decided to double your wage. Sorry, that was meant for somebody else. <laughs> for the win. To which Mark said, Ray, for the win. That, my friends, was a peak into the insanity of our texting. Hang on, our texting exchanges. among us four guys is quite sane compared to you and me texting with Ken Ham each day because <laughs> oh, that boy. is pathetically insane. Yeah, we would never read those <laughs> to people. <laughs> they would definitely put us in an asylum. But yes. What's wrong with asylums? Asylum. PC. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, there needs to be a new name. I'm sure there's a new name for asylums. I don't think they're called that Helping anymore. Helping homes or something. <laughs> Yeah, guys, what did we used to do before texting? Seriously. Smoke signals. Smoke. Yeah, smoke signals. <laughs> smoke <laughs> signals. <laughs> Rachel, telegram. Seriously, seriously. Are smoke signals legitimate or is it a Hollywood like howdy? I mean, Indians don't say how. I talked to an Indian once. He said, we never say that to each other. How? How? How, how what? And the, the smoke signals, are they a genuine part of history? Do they I say, think hey, they were. Yeah. yeah. Well, drop over here, guys. We're having a cup of tea. <laughs> Yeah, they would do signals and, and things like that. But, you know, Rachel the other day was telling me she, we went out to dinner somewhere and then... They do signals. She was waiting outside for me. I went to use the restroom and I came out and she said it was so weird because she forgot her phone at home. She said it was so weird to be sitting there without a phone. She's like, and she tried to ask herself, what did I used to do? What would we do? It's the craziest thing. You walk into a, a waiting room, you know, you walk on a plane. I walked on the plane recently and I was looking at everyone in first class and everyone with the exception of two people 
everyone Ooh, on their yeah. phones. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not thoughtless teenagers. It's everyone. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. There was a point when I would avoid someone to share the gospel with them because they would be on their phone. And I would think to myself, oh, it must be something important. Angry Birds. Now it's, yeah, Angry Birds. Now it's just <laughs> people on their phone being distracted. Yeah. And they, I do it every day in local college. I go out to people and they're on their phone. I just butt in and they'll pull up earplug out and they'll talk to me. And I'm quite surprised they do. It's I refuse important. to pull my phone out when I'm on the plane. Because that's the time that I get to read. And anytime I get on my phone instead of read a book, it's just such a waste of time for me. In my opinion, yeah. it's such a dream. You don't read books on your phone? No. Because it's too much of a distraction. It's too easy to swipe over and start scrolling Safari or whatever. You know, I have to read away from my phone because my phone is too easy of a distraction. But at the same time, what a gift, you know, all that we can put on our phones. It's been called like the modern Swiss army knife, <laughs> you oh, know, right. the type of, because I mean, you think of everything, a calculator, a, a video camera, a, a phone, a, a back scratcher. My phone has a ruler. <laughs> back scratcher. Well, yeah, you can measure things with yeah. it now. Um, you can level things. You can, it's funny. I saw, I came across this random video of Jeff Bezos. Of course, wherever these guys go, they're sworn by reporters and he comes out of the hotel, he's on his phone and gets in the car and then one of the paparazzi goes, ah, the old I'm on my cell phone trick. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty smart for a celebrity. You don't want to talk to someone, just burr, you know. Ray, I noticed you have one of the newer iPhones. Have you noticed they taste like strawberries? <laughs> I never tried it. Scratch and sniff. They smell like it. Too. Lick the cover. It's amazing. Oh, modern technology, guys. But no, I do want to say, though, it has been a huge gift to me. I do a lot of my reading. I mean, scripture, especially on my phone and audio listening and looking things up and defining words. I mean, just that you can talk to, see, you don't have to touch it. I mean, if someone told us, you'd be able to just say it out loud, hey, you know, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you almost did. Hey, no. Sorry. Uh, my favorite thing is when you're saying something else and it goes off and interprets it as that. But, but they are a gift, right? You, you really do value your phone. Oh, and I thank you for getting me interested in phones years ago. Oh, yeah. This is like 200 years ago and it's just life-changing. It revolutionized my, if I can say that, ministry. What I do is just it streamlined everything. It's just wonderful. Did you used to edit videos on your phone? No, I used to edit it on my iPad. But writing books now, I actually dictate a book often. I'll just sit and talk into my iPad. And then a phone call comes through on my iPad. I talk on the phone. Then I do an interview on the no, iPad. It's just unreal. amazing. Yeah. Then I have, I have my lunch on the iPad. I just put this brown <laughs> Yes, it is. A, I'm on chapter 23 of 24 or 25, I'm debating, of my book. And I've written it all on my phone in notes. <laughs> <laughs> notes. And I email it to two different accounts every day after I finish writing, but it's convenient. You know, wherever I'm at, I don't have to jump on my computer or, you know, it's just, it's there. It's been good. So thanks for joining us on this program about, <laughs> about sanctification. I hope you yes. enjoyed it. They're being sanctified listening to this nonsense. All right, guys. Sanctification. Did Boy. that sound on key to you? Because yeah. it was off. No, fully what on key? key. Did it? Fully. Did it though? It was off. Which key? Car key? <laughs> no, let me try again. No, please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted no, so wait, long. No, wait, is this not on key? Okay, I'm going to try this. The only way key is if you're sitting in your car key. Okay, let me try. And it's sanctification. Nope. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Wait, first, <laughs> that's remarkable. Key. Oh, it's so good. Okay, guys, sanctification. For we those talked who about, are still listening. Yeah, we talked about justification on a previous podcast, which I think all of our hearts were 
up in high heaven and worship just at the thought that we, we are justified by grace through faith. And let me just say on that note, I know we're talking about sanctification, but I, I just can't help but say the doctrine of justification is so otherworldly. No man would conceive something like that where they get zero credit, you know, and that God would give his life to wash our sins away and justify us. It's amazing. So today, guys, we're talking about sanctification. It took us eight minutes, eight seconds to get to it. <laughs> Ten seconds. Sanctification. Let me kick it off with this, I think, really clear definition that Jerry Bridges gives. Do you gives. have a definition by Jerry Bridges? By yeah, I have a definition by Jerry Bridges that he gives. It'll clear things up. Initial sanctification occurs instantly at the moment of salvation when we are delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ. And then he cites Colossians 1.13. Mm-hmm. Progressive sanctification continues over time until we go to be with the Lord. Initial sanctification is entirely the work of God, the Holy Spirit, who imparts to us the very life of Christ. Progressive sanctification is also the work of the Holy Spirit, but it involves a response on our part so that we as believers are actively involved in the process. So obviously we see certain verses that use the word sanctification in scripture, and it's dealing with initial sanctification. And sanctification carries with it the idea of being set apart, right? God justifies us. There's a sanctification that happens in connection with that. He's setting us apart as holy for his purposes. But then there's that progressive sanctification where we're being changed from glory to glory, where the Lord is is making us more holy in a practical sense. We know that our righteousness is imputed. It's perfect. We're never going to be more righteous than we are positionally in Christ. But there's growing in holiness and sanctification and being changed. Correct. Good job. Simon? Yeah. So I just thought it'd be good for us to to define that and to lay it out. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 begins with, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. And we know that any verse that begins with therefore, we should read the previous verse to see what it's... Therefore. And the previous verse is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 to 18, which begins with, Therefore, come out from... So I had to go back to verse 14, which says, Do not be, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So it just means to come apart, separate yourself from this world and from sin. Holiness, consecration, are they synonyms of what we're talking about today? They're definitely a part of that process of sanctification. You're being consecrated, set apart, becoming more and more like the Lord. Guys, honestly... Honestly, how, yeah, sometimes no, you're Because I was going to be dishonest, but decided Finally. to shift gears. Decided to shift gears. But think about the joy of seeing change in our lives. You know, I mean, you think about some of the different things that you used to do, that you used to say, that you used to think when you were a new believer... And you see where you're at now. How long have you been saved, right? 50, just over 50 years. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, the crazy. branch that bears the most fruit hangs the lowest. I love that quote, which means the more sanctified we become, the, the more we bow to the Lord's sovereignty and oh, His grace. I love good. that. Yeah. Mark, how long have you been saved now? Since 1990. So okay. 20. So 32 years? 32 years, yeah. 32. Oscar? 16 years? Yeah, the whippersnapper. Whip yeah, and I, young I, buck. I'll hit 31 in August. And Isn't it funny, Harry? Our natural age means nothing. Yeah, it's who cares? Everything began at the new birth. Who cares? Yeah. You guys all know the date you were saved? Yes. 
August 20th, okay. April 1990. Yeah, I was August 15th, 91. 1.30 in the morning. Day before my anniversary. Wedding anniversary. What? What do you mean? So I got my wedding anniversary is August 21st. So I said you got <laughs> saved the day before you got married. Laura was a close one. <laughs> Oscar, you don't remember the date. I don't. Yeah. No, but, because I didn't have the language to know that I had gotten saved that day. It wasn't until a year or two afterwards where I realized that that was the day I got saved. Yeah, the Lord had quite a bit of work to do in me over that next year or two, but I remember the moment clear as day. I can tell you what the room looked like, where I was sitting, the whole thing, but I don't remember the date. That shouldn't be a surprise, though, because I don't remember any dates, ever. (laughs) So, yeah. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Yeah, but think about guys like where we were and what God began to do. Ray, when you look back at some of the biggest areas in which God sanctified you, what would you say some of those are? <laughs> oh. What Boy, sins were you really into? Ray? Yeah, Ray. The moment I got saved, I was perfect, and <laughs> nothing's changed. Your holiness. Yeah. Was no. there a moment, Ray, though, where you were just surprised by your response to something that now as a Christian, you're responding Christ-like, where you thought, man, ordinarily I would have no, done this. No, I've got worse. I really have. It's <laughs> Sometimes my dog annoys me. You can understand that when he's disobedient and I feel an impatience come up my heart and I realize what a sinner I am through and through. I think the closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you are of your own sinfulness. Yes, that's Paul. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The other day I, I was impatient and, and reacted in the up flesh. I was just going to say, you just Honestly. go on and on. Move it. Go. It so hurts. what was Mark doing that day? You're. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Mark. So you're saying you're seriously driving brings out your sinfulness. Yeah, the flesh came out of me, and I was so grieved. And it was crazy because it was right after God really used me, and I'd been speaking somewhere, and it was just great. And then I just responded in the flesh. Were you on the something. freeway, California freeways? Here? No, it was just it, just was someone had done something. Just someone had done something, and I just responded in the flesh. I have been so convicted over it. Again, it wasn't anything massive. Anyone looking at it would have been like, oh, well, well, no big deal. You know, you got a little frustrated or whatever. But it's been haunting me. Like I've been, with the knowledge that I'm, you know, obviously my sin's forgiven. And, but it's so good that we still have the tenderness of conscience as believers when we're walking close with the Lord that we, we're grieved over our sin. We should be. I'm happy we're talking about the subject because this is an area, I think, where there is a lot of unbiblical sentiment in connection with it, where it's kind of like the whole, hey, don't talk about repentance, which we've discussed before. Don't talk about any good works, which we've also discussed, because that's all works-based or it's attempting to achieve your own righteousness. But 
we know that salvation is monergistic. It's all God beginning to end. And obviously our sanctification is also a work of God. And I'll share a few things in that regard. But there is an element of cooperation in our sanctification that, that scripture calls us to. And a lot of people, I think, are stunted in their growth because there's that misunderstanding that, nope, I'm going to be perfectly sanctified whether I obey or not, whether I yield to the Spirit's conviction or not, and that's just not the case. Mm. Yeah, I think that's why the quote that you brought up earlier is so important, is to be, to, to be able to distinguish the way in which the Scriptures talk about sanctification, because depending on what Christian camp you find yourself in, you may hear quite a bit about progressive sanctification without recognizing past sanctification. And you really do have to start with past sanctification to be able to understand present sanctification, which is what he did. You know, past sanctification is the most common way the Bible actually talks about it. It is definitive and it's positional. So 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, it says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, not being sanctified, to those sanctified in Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, but you were, past tense, washed. You were, past tense, sanctified. So you have a definitive position of sanctification, of set-apartness, Ray, you use that word. But then the scriptures go on to talk about the progressive sanctification, the ongoing, the incomplete, the lifelong maturing process. And here's my favorite way to talk about it. It's becoming who you already are in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that is like John 17, sanctify them in your truth. There's progressive ongoing. For 2 Corinthians, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so there's this reality that you are definitively sanctified in Christ and a part of the rest of your life is God chiseling away of who he made you to be. And I love the way sculptors talk about their sculpture, whether they're they're working with stone or they're working with wood. If you ever hear them talking about it, what they'll say is that that thing, that sculpture is already in there. They choose their wood or they choose their stone based off the shape because they see the sculpture already complete. And all they do is chisel away to reveal what that artist says is already there. And that's kind of the way in which God works out progressive sanctification. Once we are saved, we're definitely sanctified. And yet for the rest of our lives, he's chiseling away, revealing who we already are. Yeah, that's great. I love it when a sculptor sculpts a sculpture. Mm. (laughs) Say that 10 times backwards. Yeah, well, well, eating it, scallops at the same time. Yeah, is it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but is this oversimplifying it? Father bathes his children, washes them clean, and he just says, "Now stay clean." Is that sanctification? It's more like a father saves his son from a pigsty, and he's covered with all kinds of filth, and then he's now delivered from the pigsty. But now, day by day, he's washing him clean, bit by bit of the things that were attached to him from the past. So it's, it's a progressive, like, like Oscar said, there's the initial, like Jerry Bridges talked about, and then 
where we're set apart, but then there's a progressive where God is changing us and we're being changed. I mean, you think about Galatians, where it talks about the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you may not do that which you please. Who is the you being spoken of there? Well, that's the new regenerated spiritual man. You don't desire to do those things anymore, but there is the reality of the flesh and the spirit. And there's that battle that's going on. And I think Philippians 2, 12 to 13, go ahead, Ray. No, there's nothing there. My mind was blank. No, no. What? I, I, I said a reference. Oh, Philippians, it's Philippians 2? Oh, yes. For God so loved the world that he gave us only begotten son. <laughs> no, I was waiting for you to do <laughs> I your, didn't do it that your, time. I know. The only time I'm expecting him to do it, he doesn't do it. Whenever I say, we say a reference, he goes, mm-hmm, he has no idea what it says. Yes, I do. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling. Ah. Mm-hmm. For, verse 13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, again, it's important to note, Paul isn't saying work for your salvation, work out your salvation, the salvation that you already possess, work it out with fear and trembling, live it out. And then he says, God is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God is working in you and you're called to cooperate in yielding to the Lord and obeying and surrendering and submitting. That's a huge part of our sanctification, our yielding to the Lord. There's at least four different views on sanctification. That was great. And the way, if we say that he sanctifies us and then it's our job to keep ourselves clean, that's a Keswich and maybe even a Wesleyan view of sanctification. The working out your salvation and the synergistic action, it has something to do with our effort, but it's always our effort tapping back into the power that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And so Dr. Peterson, uh, renowned theologian, said it like this. He, he said it in two different ways. The first way he said it was, to use a human example, I, I am no more married to my wife today than I was the day we wed. But the challenge is for me to be a faithful and loving husband in each and every situation that confronts us. The New Testament uses other terms for growth, maturation, and the change in the Christian life. Sanctification, together with justification, reconciliation, and redemption, describes the gracious way God in Christ brings us into relationship with himself. And then he goes on to say, it's like the Lord has deposited an insurmountable amount of money into your bank account. And every time you work out your sanctification, you're withdrawing from his funds. You're tapping into the work that he's already done in you. Of course, it's all him, you know, but you think of a verse like 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. <laughs> when I didn't expect it, there it comes. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So again, he's indicating there, this is God's will. This is what God is, is working in you but you're called to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, for a Christian who is, and this happens a lot of times, you'll get a Christian who's watching pornography all the time or fornicating or whatever. There are times when we have to say, is this person really saved? But let's say it's someone who who is at least professing Christ and is saying, oh, God is sanctifying me. And they look at themselves in the midst of that and say, oh, well, I'm still watching porn and I'm still fornicating because God hasn't sanctified me out of that yet, right? Right. Now, God is working, of course. That's a Wesleyan view of sanctification. What is? That second blessing 
of like, if, if someone were to say, oh, well, he hasn't sanctified me out of that. Right. They're waiting for a second blessing. Like, oh, the Lord will one day help me stop sinning in this kind of a way. Yeah. Poor Wesley being enlightened to pornography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there is that call to yield and to surrender to what God is willing. God wills that believers abstain from sexual morality, but as we cooperate in sanctification, if we choose to continue to do that, we're going to stunt our growth and we're going we're gonna to hinder that, that growth in the Lord. Bridges says this, he says, progressive sanctification very much involves our activity, but it is an activity that must be carried out in dependence on the Holy Spirit, which is what you're referencing earlier. It is not a partnership with the Spirit in the sense that we each, the believer and the Holy Spirit, do our respective tasks. Rather, we work as he enables us to work. His work lies behind all our work and makes our work possible. He is not dependent on us to do his work, but we are dependent on him to do our work. We cannot do anything apart from him. And that's crucial. Yeah. We can't do it apart from the Lord. You know? With the grave cloths that were wrapped around Lazarus that were unwrapped, a type of sanctification. He was made alive by the grace of God, and then they unwrapped him of that which was tying him. You're just reminding me, again, going back to becoming who we already are. So in 1 Corinthians, I think it's verses 1 through 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church, and it's interesting the way he uses his wording. He says, for not acting like who they are. For not acting like who they are. That's his way of rebuking them. And I heard it once said that it's like a caterpillar, you know, goes to sleep one day, and uh, a few days later, he wakes up and he looks around. And he's like, what? He's got these big, beautiful wings with all these colors and he stretches them out and he's up there on the twig. And of course, that caterpillar is now a butterfly. It's going to fly away, right? It would make absolutely no sense for that caterpillar to be like, whoa, sweet wings, and then dive himself back in the mud and burying himself. He's not a caterpillar anymore. He's a butterfly. And in that same now, way... Is that when, original? No, no, no. I, I heard that That's a great years thought, ago. isn't it? I can lie. It's, yeah, that was... I originally <laughs> said it after someone else said it. You need to be sanctified, brother. <laughs> brother. <laughs> brother. What Paul's getting at in Corinthians is becoming who you already are, which is where the definitive sanctification and the present progressive sanctification meet. It's how those two things align with one another. God has declared us sanctified. Now go and act the way God has called you to be. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Amen, Bryn. brothers? Amen, brothers? <laughs> Brother! <laughs> yeah. If any man be in Christ, he, he is a new creature. What do you think of people over talking about? If any man be in Christ, he is is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become wings. <laughs> wings. <laughs> wings. <laughs> now you're making I'm me hungry. hungry. Wings. wings stop. <laughs> the author of Hebrews in chapter 5, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And there's a rebuke to Oscar's point that you're not at where you should be. And I think that there is a bit of a, a scapegoat when we say, listen, I'm not at where I used to be. I may not be where I should be. Well, how's it go? Not what I'm I want to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I want to be. Another world, but so I'm not what I want to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Sure. <laughs> but listen, we, we can't use it as a scapegoat to think that get up, get, start moving. You know, start doing something. 
I think what you were asking earlier with uh, easy, there, there's a great text in John chapter 13, Ray, when uh, there's kind of the confusion of justification and sanctification. In John chapter 13, we have the story of Jesus washing the apostles' feet. And then he comes to Peter in verse 6, and Peter says to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answers, and he says to them, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but you will know after this. And then Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answers, and he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then what does Peter do? He says, well, Lord, not just my feet, but my whole body. Yeah. (laughs) And then Jesus says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. And the point that he's making here, this is a great picture of sanctification, Look, you're already clean, right? And so the metaphor is you've been declared righteous. You are justified in his sight. You don't need to be completely rebathed. But listen, sometimes you walk in places you shouldn't go. And sometimes you do things you shouldn't do. And you taste vile things that you ought not. You just need to be washed, your feet. And so here's the picture, if you would, of we are bearing with one another's burdens. We are there when somebody stumbles and falls, and we are patient in one's sanctification process. Right? The Apostle Paul was not the Apostle Paul overnight. There was a process. There was a series of experiences that went his way that got him to be completely usable and ready to reach the Gentiles, when in reality he wanted to reach out to the Jews. And I love what Kevin DeYoung said. He said, sanctification will be marked by penitence more than perfection, right? So what is a sign of a believer? It's not the fact that he has attained, that he has arrived, because even the Apostle Paul said that he hadn't. But it's the sign of somebody saying, hey, listen, forgive me, have mercy on me. I blew it again. I blew it again. And I blew it again, and I blew it again. And that's the act and the sign of a believer. It's like you, easier you're saying earlier today that you're not tormented, but you were in continual remembrance of how you just kind of blew it. And then you realize that there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. And you move on to the next step. Thank you for the forgiveness found in Christ alone. But now you can be patient with other people who are experiencing the same sort of things in their area of sanctification themselves. You bring up a really important point, which is, I think, for all of us to heed the warning as Christians, as leaders in our church, as men, perhaps that are leading families or will one day lead families, or even women who are fellowshipping with other individuals, which is that the sanctification process is ultimately God's doing and God's work. And our sanctification process will look differently to different people. And so as we disciple and as we lead, we have to be careful to not impose our perception of where someone should be within the sanctification process, while at the same time holding them accountable in their pursuit of righteousness. Those two things have to be weighted with one another. Yeah, absolutely. What are you doing, Ray Comfort? I'm doing an Instagram photo of the four of us, and, and I can't get you in. Oh, answered prayer. <laughs> there, cherub, here he is. Got it? People are listening to our picture-taking sessions. This is ridiculous. That's really good, Oscar. Yeah, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but by the grace of God, this is verse 15, I am what I am, and by his grace toward me, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 
And I love that balance there. You know, yeah, I was, I was laboring, I was doing, but it was God's grace. It's all based on his grace. It's very important to, you know, really grasp that. And look, scripture calls us to move forward in a deliberate fashion in our growth in holiness and in the Lord and in godliness. I mean, 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself for godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. We're called to exercise ourselves. We're called to yield to the Lord, to his conviction, to his working and moving you know, in our lives. And I think probably one of the best verses that gives us a real glimpse into how it all works, the balance between our justification and sanctification is, is Hebrews ten fourteen. It says, by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we are completely justified by his grace. We're sanctified by his grace and he's changing us. You know, he's sanctifying us bit by bit. Forever. Amen. Forever. Amen. Ah, uh, we're perfected forever and we're being sanctified, you know, day by day. Mark, when you think about those that you've discipled over the years, those that you've counseled, those that you have exhorted, what would you say has been one of the things that has hindered growth in holiness the most with people? Is it laziness? Is it selfishness? Is it a misunderstanding of grace? Because I know sometimes we think, oh, this person, they are just a person who engages in, in things not connected with God's grace, so therefore they must be an antinomian. But sometimes not understanding God's grace will lead someone into condemnation. So how would you define that? Boy, I think it's more of a case-by-case basis. I think that the moment I have somebody completely understood you know, where I know exactly what, what is wrong and the solution to what they're going through, I, I think that I, I can be kind of thrown for a loop. Sometimes it's hard for people to communicate what they're going through. And that's why here's the simplicity of the gospel and the word of God. If you can continually get someone to get back to the word and to meditate through God's word, to pray through God's word, to become accountable, you're going to be on the right track. I have great hope for an individual who is struggling, but they're in the word and they want to be open and they're living their life in a very transparent way where they are open to correction and conviction and they've given you the right and permission to say whatever you want to say into their lives. I don't care what you're struggling with. If you give me somebody who is humble and open to correction and conviction, I'm telling you their future is bright. So though I may not be able to empathize because I haven't been in their situation, I attempt to sympathize with what they're going through. If they're going to bow their knee to whatever scripture has to say and take those necessary steps throughout the day to meditate on God's word and to send a text here and there towards somebody who wants to speak into their lives, I'm telling you, their future is so bright, so bright. I remember approaching one of my professors at Bible college. He said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be back here next semester teaching. And I said, you know, well, just pray about it. And he goes, okay, yeah, like I wouldn't do that. And I just remember thinking to myself, well, it's kind of arrogant. I, I mean, I was just trying to say, 
You, you know, you should just pray about it. It's kind of the solution to a lot of different things. Meditate on God's word, pray through it, and seek wisdom from a multitude of people. But the individual and the novice and the young person who's, oh man, I just can't get enough of God's word. Sorry, I can't go do that activity with you. I'm going to be in God's word. I'm going to be reading a book. I'm like, wow, that person's future is so bright. And that's the wisdom and the counsel that we need to be giving people. Get to God's word, go through God's word, allow God's word to go through you and seek wisdom from people around you and journal. And you're going to see sanctification inside your life. Wow. Yeah, you know, Ray, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And if there's anything that I've heard you harp on for years now, it's being in God's word. I mean, you're well-known saying to people, I mean, we joke about it sometimes, but you think of the truth that holds when someone hits you up for direction or is going through something in your li- their life, you ask them that question. Do you read God's word every day? This morning, I was in Sarita's College just before here. I went around there to do some filming. A guy says, I'm a Christian. And I just said, are you reading God's word? He says, I try to. So I said, do you try to eat your food? You don't try. I said, you don't try and eat lunch. You just eat lunch because it's your priority. And he got the message. He says, wow, you're right. And it's such a revelation. It's, it's an act of your will. You mm-hmm. say, so I will have lunch today because I want to. I will read, this mor- read the word this morning because I want to. I love that saying. This book will keep me from sin and sin will keep me from this book. And it's mm-hmm. so true. If you let anything in your heart, you won't want to look at that word because it reads you while you read it. Wow. Yeah, Ray, seriously, how often do we see someone who is just really in sin and compromising, and more often than not, they're not in God's Word. No, they'll be praying. Yeah. That she says, I pray a lot. And so, yeah, I said, everyone prays a lot. 97% of Americans pray. There's no atheists in severe turbulence. Everyone prays. The plane goes upside down. You can say, God, help me. Why is reading God's Word such a sanctifying element, right? Because it's, like I said, it speaks to you. The entrance of God's word gives light, and men love darkness rather than light. So you don't want that which is going to expose you, and the word exposes you. But it's easy to pray. We're to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And we hear from the word and speak through prayer. And God doesn't want you yapping at him all the time. So this is what I, <laughs> this is what I want. This is what and Jesus said the heathen think they're going to be heard because they're much speaking. And it's, God's not impressed with much speaking. He wants us to listen, and we hear from God through his word. There is an arrogance, isn't there, Oscar, infused in a not reading God's word, in a sense. I mean, it communicates something. I don't really need to hear from God, or I don't need God's word. Not that people think about it maybe concretely like that. Some do. But something isn't fully registering there for the Christian who isn't reading God's word in terms of what it really is. There is a bit of arrogance, but I also want to be gracious and patient because I had imagined that there is some listening to this going, man, I, I try to read God's word and it's so dry and dull and hard for me. That's because the person's dry and dull, <laughs> dull and, and hard. hard. Yeah. I mentioned this in, in maybe 30 or 40 podcasts ago, and I think it's worth mentioning again. If, if you're today the kind of person that tries to open God's word and it feels like an irksome task, like it feels hard for you. I don't want you to feel condemned so much as understand perhaps what might be happening. And that's this, is that you need to develop a flavor, a taste for the goodness that is God's word. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, Thaddeus Williams, he's a teacher at Biola, a good friend of mine too, and my neighbor, he once explained it like, we are like these giant tongues, which is kind of a weird way to think about it. But he's like, we are these giant tongues that are walking around and we pick up just the dirt 
and the grime and the sin that's all around us. And it changes the way we taste life. But when we go to God's word, it transforms our flavor palette. And we talk often about my love for coffee. But here's the thing. When you, <laughs> when you understand the way I taste coffee is very different than the way easy tastes coffee. When I taste coffee, I can explore all of the flavor notes. I can taste the lavender and the strawberry and the cherries. I get that from there. When you taste it, you just taste bitterness and you need cream and sugar. The thing is this, is that when we spend time in God's word and we develop a flavor palette for it, it will begin to open up and we will begin to understand and enjoy the flavor palettes of what God and has even to appreciate say with us. difficult passages in scriptures and begin to go, I mean, how many times do we come across a text where we go, I don't fully understand that, but because I understand and know the character of God, I'm okay with that portion of the text yeah. that it says that, that is very perhaps even confusing. And it can push us towards a commentary to understand the culture, the customs, and the tradition and the proper text of it. But exactly what you're saying, it causes us to appreciate the difficult or the hard things, the commands of God, go and destroy, go and kill the Amorites and the Philistines. And you go, God, why don't you try to bring reconciliation? What is the word that I'm looking for? When you go to prison, we're trying to rehabilitate them, right? Why don't you try to rehabilitate the Philistines, God? Why, do you must, why must you destroy? And then we come to the place where, you know, God just knows what he's doing. Yeah. He understands that there's a disease that is running rampant amongst the people. Allow God to be God. He doesn't need your counsel or your wisdom. And this is exactly, I believe, what you're referring to, that you can enjoy all the flavors of the text knowing God. Yeah. If you didn't understand God or the character of God and the purpose of God and with his workings with mankind, well, then you're going to raise your fist at God and everything you don't understand. And that's exactly how we approach the word of God, right, and, Comfort? And that's what the scripture says. It says that his word is sweetness to our lips and honey for our souls. And that's the thing. Some people don't taste sweetness in their coffee. I do. Oh. Some people read the word right now. Maybe you're a believer and you read the word and it Whenever doesn't I hear taste the word sweet, coffee, I'm starting to feel nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> Is Starbucks a really good cup of coffee? Terrible cup Oscar, of coffee. Oscar, your tongue needs to be sanctified. <laughs> your awesome. taste palate You'll needs to be see sanctified. one day in heaven when you have your perfected body, you'll understand oh, what man. I taste. Ray, what were you going to say? I'm going to say I'm getting a call from that guy who's going to deliver an oven to our house today. <laughs> your oven's coming. <laughs> if I read a love letter from my wife, it's not never dry. Because I know of her love for me, and even if there's parts I don't understand, it's still from her. And when the cross is the basis, the opening of the door to God's word for me, it's always sweet to my taste. David said, I rejoiced at your word as one who finds great spoil. And I know as I scroll through Psalms, and there's some Psalms that are dry, and, but I just go over and over them and say, why is it dry to me? And then I begin seeing things that I've not seen before that are hidden in God's Word. Yeah. That's a great question. Why is this dry to me? That's yeah. a really good question. Yeah, and, and I think that what Christians need to realize is that it all begins with that discipline to commit yourself to regularly open God's Word. When that begins to happen, you begin, as you're talking about, Oscar, you begin to develop a sort of appetite for it, you know? We need to activate, as it also has been touched on, what we already have. And what do we have? We have the fruit of the Spirit if we've been born of the Spirit, and that is self-control. That's good. Self-control. We need to control ourselves to do what we know is right. And as I've mentioned before, too, value impacts behavior. How much we value something, as, as Paul Tripp talks about, will impact how we 
conduct ourselves in connection with it. And if I value God's word, I'm going to get into it and let it get into me and change my life. Wayne Grudem said, the role that we play in sanctification is both a passive one in which we depend on God to sanctify us and an active one in which we strive to obey God and take steps that will increase our sanctification. So it's that total passive approach. Hey, God is the one we depend on to sanctify us. And then there's that active role of I'm going to obey you and I'm going to yield. And that's going to help us to increase and grow in sanctification. And then let me finish with this last quote. This is Kevin DeYoung. He said, Adam and Eve were created in God's image after his likeness. But in Adam's sin, the human race was given over to corruption. We are still image bearers, but the image has been distorted. The goal of sanctification is a renewal of this image. The holy person is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator, which means growing in righteousness and holiness. This does not happen all at once, but rather we are transformed in the image of God, one degree of glory to another. And guys, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And what a joy that God is doing that. Oh, I love that. Easy. Yeah. What a blessing that we can look back and say, I'm not where I used to be. I see how God has grown me, how he's given me more patience, more understanding, more sympathy, more love, more of a hatred for sin, more of a, a drawing close to him in my life. You know, it's, it's awesome. So, all right, friends. Well, we hope you've been encouraged today. We want to encourage you to email us at podcast at livingwaters.com. Give us your thoughts, your ideas, questions, and what you would like to hear us talk about. Make sure to go to livingwaters.com and check out the Evidence Bible. It will help to equip you and enable you to grow in sanctification. We've been talking a lot about the Bible. This is a tool that many have found to be extremely effective in their lives, and we hope it'll be in yours. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Sanctified Podcast. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.